Father, we're thankful again that we can come and talk to you at any time. We continue to remember Whitney and Jeff and uh, as they're uh, waiting for the arrival uh, of their baby. And we just ask uh, that things would go well and uh, this delivery would go well. We also rejoice with the Canes and the delivery of their little boy uh, on Friday. And uh, as that family transitions into having two children in the house. And then we think of the Wantakia people and uh, uh, those that you have brought uh, to get to know them, to get to know their language, and now are in the process getting ready to begin sharing with them who Jesus Christ is and telling them the story uh, that is the background for why, uh, why we needed Jesus Christ to come into this world. And we ask uh, for hearts that are ready uh, to believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And again, we thank you for this opportunity, as always, to talk to you about these needs and so many others. Amen. Uh, we're going to start today in 2 Corinthians. We are going to be looking today, and there are some outlines in the back. If you wanted an outline, I'm sure Aaron would be happy to jump up and deliver and hand those out if you wanted one. If not, you can just follow along. We've got two key passages we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 6. Um, raise your hand if you wanted an outline. And Aaron will get those to you. Okay. Yeah, just take the whole bundle with you, Aaron, and make it easier. What we are, what, what this study is looking, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, is we've been looking at God's promises. Oh, 2 Corinthians 8 is where we're going to put in today. Um. We've been looking at promises that God has made to us, the body of Christ, and how we can live in those promises, how you and I are to direct faith at those promises. So our larger study is really about faith, but, but we don't just figure out what we want to believe. We actually find the promises in the word of God, promises that are made to us, and then we believe those promises. And we have two sets of promises about Sowing and reaping. And sowing and reaping is a popular topic. All of, and by the way, what the subset of promises we're looking at right now are promises about the body of Christ. Okay? It's about how the body of Christ is functioning together, is what we're specifically looking at over the last few weeks. This idea of sowing and reaping is a popular topic in a lot of churches. Uh, I grew up hearing this kind of stuff once in a while because, and then there are a lot of people on the internet and on the radio and pe I think people still listen to radio. I do. Uh, but uh, there are preachers on the radio that they like the sowing and reaping topic because they like to come and tell you, listen, you give God $10, he'll give you a hundred, you know, that kind of nonsense. If you, you already know what I think about that and what I think the word of God is going to say just by the fact that I called that nonsense. That is not what, as we're going to look at the word of God today, that is not what he says about this sowing and reaping. So we're going to look at these two things. We are also going to see that there are two areas that the idea of sowing and reaping fall into. The first one in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, sowing and reaping is talking about how you use your, your money, how you use your material possessions. So what it comes down to. So it is going to talk about giving God the $10, except I hate to actually say giving God the $10 because I don't know that that's really the way it fully is looked at. But the scripture does look at when you give to help somebody else, if you give with the right motive, that is a sacrifice that you're offering to God. Uh, and Paul says that. But the other idea of sowing and reaping that we're going to be looking at is service. And so both of these are body related. Because what is the number one reason that the church took up a collection? We've got a collection plate in the back. We haven't put anything in that collection plate for two and a half months. So, and I see there's actually, I can actually see something sticking up. I don't know why it's, what it is, but I, anyway. But people, we have collection plates. We don't run the offering plate back and forth like this at our church. We don't do that. But what's the number one reason that the church initially collected? To meet the needs of people in the church. Not the wants, not, hey, Tim has to drive a Ford Escape and he's always wanted a pickup. So let's buy him an F-150, brand new, spanking off the lot of Moses. That's not what it's about. That's a, that is a want. That's a craving. That's something that I can totally survive without. I don't need that. That's on everything. 
Yes, it is. It's recorded for all time and eternity, right? That's right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm fine. I love my Ford Escape. I, I seriously, I get in there, I turn that key, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm nearing 250,000, and I'm always, God, God, this is so cool. I've never driven a vehicle that far. Some of you have driven vehicles way further than that. I never have. Anyway, sorry. Back to the main point. Sorry that I'm digressing. It's, so they've collected to help with the needs that people had, not with the wants, okay? Not with the wants. So that's the number one reason they took it up. They didn't collect money to build buildings. They didn't do that. Building, the churches didn't start building buildings until somewhere well into the third century. And this makes it convenient for a lot of us to get together. Um, it's been very kind of the Butlers and the Wagners to invite us out the last weeks and to meet out on the hillside out there. But the thing is, is that would be kind of tough uh, in November and December. I don't care how well you bundle up, there'd be a lot of shivering, uh, and I'd probably be one of them, see, if we were doing it. So this is convenient for us to get a bunch of us together. This is convenient, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary, you know. We could always find somebody that's got a shop that we could meet in, throw a, one of those old gasoline heaters in there like I used to grow up with, and they, we could heat that thing up, and a bunch of us could get in there. So you can do things like that. But that's not what the church collected money for. And I just say that I, as an outset, and I, I don't want to get too off on this, but it's the thing is, is lots of churches are in debt into the millions of dollars for facilities that they put up when the number one reason that the church has collected resources in the first place was to help people with real needs, okay? Real needs, not perceived needs. So as we look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to look, I want to begin reading at the first part. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Follow along. I know this puts in down at verse 10, but I want to read the first part of this because I think it's very illustrative of what Paul eventually is going to say about the whole sowing and reaping thing. So verse one, now brothers, we want to make known to you the grace of God, which was given among the churches in Macedonia. And I find it interesting throughout this passage, several times that Paul refers to the whole matter of giving as a grace matter. It's not a law requirement. It's a matter of grace. And so he says the grace given in the churches of Macedonia for in a great ordeal of affliction, the abundance of joy and the depth of their poverty overflowed to the wealth of their liberality. I, I like the way they have that. It's not really the word liberality. It's a simplicity. They gave and they just gave and they didn't have strings attached. They weren't going, okay, Paul, we're giving you this. We're giving you this $10 and this is seed money. Seed money, Paul. You know what I'm, you know, does anybody know what seed money is? This is. Yeah, it's an investment. I'm giving you the $10 and I expect that God's going to rain down money from heaven on me. That kind of non that's nonsense, by the way. It's not Bible. Uh, and he said, it's simplicity. That's actually the word that's translated liberality is a word for simplicity. In other words, when they get, they just gave. They didn't give with strings attached. They didn't come and say, you got to do it like this. This is what I want from you. They just gave. It's all they did. They didn't, they didn't investigate and do all this other stuff. So, the, and it says, they were poor, but they were rich in how they give. How are you rich in giving if you're poor? You give, well, what's he, notice what he says in verse 3. This is how they do it. For according to their power or ability, I testify, and even beyond their ability. And today people can give to churches beyond their ability because they can reach in their pocket and pull out their visa card. And there are churches, ours doesn't and ours won't, uh, but people give with a visa card. Okay, I don't. I don't particularly think that that's something that I want us to do. I'm not saying it's wrong for other churches to do it, but I don't want to see us go down that path. But people can give on a card, and this has happened. I knew of a church in Moses Lake. I think Ben Ben was telling me about this, about people that actually gave money to a car, to a church that was up there, more than one family. They went bankrupt, those families. And guess what? The bankruptcy banks went after that church to get back the money that those people had been given to the church because they were like, you shouldn't have been giving money away when you were in this financial strait. See, so people can give more in those kind of circumstances. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about the fact, let's pick on the Garnicks. Let's say it's going to take them five, 
No, that would be crazy. Let's say it's going to take them $20 a day to feed that family. I don't know how you do that with those boys. <laughs> well, let's say $20 a day it's going to feed the, to feed all those boys. And, and Jeremy and Holland say, hey, you know what? There's this person that has a need over here, and we want to give to the need. And so guess what, guys? We're going to get by on $15 a day, and we're going to take five of what we normally would eat. And guess what? We're going to, we're going to eat less deluxe food. <laughs> <laughs> Less delight. I'm just saying because I've never gone over there and eaten rice and beans, you know. Uh, I like rice and beans, though. Anyway, but you get the point of what he's saying. They're giving beyond actually what we would say is reasonable. Today, people would say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You got to make sure that you can have everything that you need. And these people were going, you know what? We can do without a lot of our necessities. We can eat less. If you're like me, it doesn't hurt me to eat a little less once in a while. But uh, those kind of things. Just trying to put this in perspective on what's happening. Then in verse 4 it says, And they were encouraging us. New American Standard has begging. But literally it's just, they were encouraging us. Uh, no, okay, this is the word begging. I'm seeing we got two different Greek words and I just flipped them around in here. Begging us then with encouragement to fellowship uh, in the this grace of the ministry unto the saints. They looked at sharing with these believers that had a need as a thing of grace, number one, and number two, that it was a thing of fellowship. They're sharing in common. These people have a need. God's allowed them to have something and they want to participate. And they, and Paul had to go, mm, no, 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 people. You, I, I know how hard up you guys are. I know how, how hard it is for you just to feed your families. Just Keep it. God will take care of it elsewhere. <laughs> and they're going, no, please, Paul, let us give. We want to share in this. And I'm sure what they're giving to meet that need is very small with respect to the need. But it was very big from the perspective of what they had. We're going to see Paul bring this out uh, down in the context here in a little bit. And he says, and not only this in verse 5, as we expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord and to us first by the will of God. And I think that's an important thing to think. There are some believers that think, hey, I will write a check or give money and I will give like that, but don't expect me to actually personally have to do anything. Don't expect me to actually show up and give my time to spend with you when you're in trouble and have need. Or, you understand what I'm saying? Paul says these were people that they personally were ministering in their lives with other people before they actually ever financially were even giving. They were being engaged in this way. And so he goes on down this, and I want to jump down through this. Let's go to verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And obviously he's talking about rich and poor in this context, not in terms of material wealth, wealth but spiritual wealth. We become spiritually wealthy through what Christ did by becoming spiritually poor when he became man and died on a cross and experienced separation from the father while he's hanging on the cross. That was spiritual poverty, okay, is what Jesus Christ experienced when he hung on the cross. He experienced my separation from God while he hung on the cross. And so he goes on there and he says in verse 10, and so I give my opinion in this, for it is, it is beneficial who those of you who were first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but, all, uh, but also to desire this, but now finish doing it also that just as the readiness or the eagerness to desire it, there might also be a completion of your ability. In other words, what he's saying is the Corinthians had said over a year ago, we're going to share in this need. We're going to participate. We're going to do this. But a year's passed and nothing's materialized. And Paul's saying, hey, uh, you guys, we're going to see this in a little bit, you guys are actually a church that's well-to-do. Are we a well-to-do church? Yes, we're a well-to-do church. Some of you are going, what? We're well Yes. And I, I always have to remind you about this, about wealth and poverty. Are any of you worried that you're going to be able to eat tomorrow night? Are any of you worried that you'll have a roof over your head tomorrow? Are any of you worried that you won't have a roof over your head in six months or food to eat in six months or a year? In other words, for most of us, we'd say, if things went south on us right now, I probably would survive a year at least, maybe longer. 
But there are a lot of people that they're really, they're really poor. They really are impoverished and they don't know where they're going to eat tonight. And they don't know if there's going to be a roof over their head tonight. And they don't know if the weather changes, whether they're going to have adequate clothing. See, these are not things we worry about. And since we don't worry about those things, that tells me we're actually rich. See, we think of rich, we think of Bill Gates and, and uh, Mr. Buffett. We think of those guys. But I, you can't compare yourself to that extreme category there. Just look at it in terms of the fact that you and I don't really worry about the necessities of life. That, I call that wealth. And I think it's a good adjustment for us as Christians to adjust our thinking that we're not poor. We're not impoverished. I mean, if you can plan that, hey, when the coronavirus things are lifted, I'm going to get a plane ticket and I'm going to travel to Iowa and I'm going to go see my mom and dad. That's not poor. Because a poor person doesn't say, hey, I'm going to waste money on a plane ticket. You're going, I can't do that. I have to eat. You know, so I'm going to be able to do something like that. I'm not poor. You're not poor. I don't think any of you are poor. Maybe I don't. Maybe your circumstances are not at all what I perceive them to be. But he, Paul goes on as he's talking about this, this matter in here. He then says, in verse 12, for if the eagerness or readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, I, and I've been there, I've been there. People are sometimes really eager to give away what they don't have. God, when you make me a millionaire, I will give lots of money to missionaries. But now I'm only a 10,000 heir. So I can't so I can't give money to missionaries, which is baloney. I mean the Macedonians, look at them. They helped other people out. If God's given you something, you have the ability to use that. It's just a matter of a choice. And he's saying the eagerness, it's judged by God's perspective, not out of what you don't have, it's out of what you have. So if you're eager to use what you have, even if it seems meager, you go, well, what is again to use the illustration? What is $5 to the need that's there? doesn't make any difference. If, it's, if you know it's what God wants you to give and you can do it with a good attitude and you can do it as an act of grace and fellowship, then it's the right thing to do. And $5, we're going to see in a little bit, actually will amount to something. Paul's going to say this here in a little while. If that's all that it is. okay. I'm not talking about our offering plate back there. I'm just talking about if there's needs that you see in general. It's needs that are present. It's one of the things I have to say I've appreciated about this church is that I know that stuff is funneled through our offering plate, but I also know that there have been needs that have come up and I've watched people and, and I'm just privy at times to the fact that needs have been met in alternative ways without ever people actually having to come and particularly give a check to Angie and say, hey, make sure it's dispersed. And there's nothing wrong with that. But anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Boy, I talk a lot about giving today. I don't talk, we don't talk about giving very much. It's If I seem a little nervous about it, which is different, it's just that it's awkward to do this uh, since the church provides for me and then to talk about it, it just seems awkward. Yeah. Anyway, Dr. you understand. Yeah, you, you, you understand this. You understand this. And he says in verse 13 then, and this is the place where you kind of see how he's talking about this. He says, and it's not then uh, in order that there's a relief for others, but it's pressure for you. He says, that's not the pur purpose of it. It's the purpose that there is an equality so that at the present time, your abundance might be for what they need, not their lack, not what they want. Always have to make that clear. But what they, what they need, do they need shoes to put on their feet so that they can get around so they don't have to walk in the goat head and the thorns in their bare feet. Oh, sure. Do they need the fanciest shoes that you can go and find? No. See, there's a difference between a, a want and a need. And so he says, at the present time, your abundance might be to their want or need in order that their abundance might be then to your lack so that there might be an equality. In other words, he says, this balances out over the scheme of things that sometimes... It's you are the one that has and they're without and sometimes it changes and it's the other way around. In fact, scripture actually indicates sometimes it's the fact that 
you have an abundance of material things and they have a lack of material things, but they have an abundance of spiritual things and you have a lack and you can learn from that. So that he, so scripture says that there's a balance that way too. And he, he Paul makes that uh, comparison over in Romans between uh, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers uh, in the past. Um, make sure I'm not missing anything here that I want to get to. Okay, so now let's go over to chapter 9. I know I, I read through all of this passage again yesterday, and I'm just always thinking I should just go through this verse by verse, but we'd be here three weeks if I did that. So chapter 9 here, he's still talking about the same thing. Verse 1 will tell you, for it is uh, superfluous or it is overflows for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. So again, he's talking about he's talking about a ministry of taking a collection that Paul was going to take down to Jerusalem to minister to the needs of the saints down there. And he says in verse six, well, let's go back to verse verse five. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers that they would go ahead to you, arrange beforehand your previously promised uh, bountiful gift that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. And, and uh, this word that's translated um, bountiful two times, and I think that this is wrong both times. I think this is wrong when they translate it. It is not the word bountiful. It's our word eulogia, which is the word for a blessing, something good that is said. It's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, that God has said all good things about us with all good words in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. It's the same word. And what he's talking about here when he uses this, and our Bibles translate it bountiful, I think they're looking at, the, he's talking about a gift. He's talking about a gift, a financial gift. It doesn't mean bountiful, but he's not talking about bountiful. What he's saying is, well, think about this. Have any of you ever been the recipient where you're in a situation where you're a little bit needy and somebody steps in and unexpectedly you receive something that addresses that need? And you don't stand there and go, well, about time. Well, maybe you did. If you did that, you should have had an attitude adjustment. But normally, if you approach it right, you're like, wow, God. Huh. I remember when we were in seminary once. We were in a straight where we didn't. I'm working. Working full time and I, we don't know how we're going to be able to pay the bills. And my wife goes over to our post office box and opens it up. And here there is a cashier's check. So I didn't even know who gave it to us. And I don't remember how much it was for, but I know it was enough so we could pay the rent. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where you're just like, wow. And I've watched that happen. And I trust that you've watched that happen. And that's the word that's being translated bountiful. It's a blessing because you're sitting there going, God, somewhere, some person, whether they knew about our need or whatever it was, you laid it on their heart to obviously go to a bank and have them cut a cashier's check. And they sent that to us. And it met a need that, I mean, we weren't advertised. We didn't go to church and go, hey, we don't know if we're going to pay our rent this month. Didn't do that. Nobody knew. It was between the two of us and Katie, who's like eight months old, so I don't think she blabbed it to anybody. <laughs> anyway, we're the only ones that knew about it. But somebody else somehow figured out that we probably maybe had a need. And so that's what he's talking about. when he And I believe that we would translate this blessing. But he says that that blessing should not be affected by covetousness. Covetousness in what way? That when they actually show up, you're going, Mom, we know we promised that last year. I know we said that we were going to help with that. But, you know, hey, I've got this thing that I want. and Or maybe you're just Uncle Scrooge. I like just counting my coins. It's not even that you want to acquire anything with it. You just want to keep it and invest more to make more. So that you can invest more to make more. And maybe that's all it is but it would be covetousness. And he says, I don't want covetousness to affect what you're doing. By the way, now, when you go through this, well, let's keep going. I don't want to get sidetracked yet. Verse six, now this I say, he who sows sparingly, and guess what? Guess what the word sparingly means? Sparingly. Oh, there, there's a, that was a tough one. It does. It means that you're chintzy with it. He says, the person that's sparing or chintzy, he says, he reaps sparingly. 
And he who sows upon a blessing, not bountifully, shall also reap upon a blessing. And what he's saying is, when you are looking at a thing and you're going, you know, you're taking that thing and you're going, God, I don't have much, like the Macedonians. I got the $5, but I really think that this is what you want me to do with this. I want to help with this need. It doesn't seem like much, but God, just please use even this very meager thing, whatever it might be. Guess what? That thing becomes the basis of a blessing. Some way in which God causes that to be used somewhere, somebody is going to say, thank you, God, for what you did in the heart of some person. You get that? In other words, this verse that is taken because of the way it's translated in your English Bibles by prosperity preachers around the world does not say you reap a lot of, or you sow a lot of money and God will send back and you'll reap a huge harvest is not at all what it's saying. What it's saying is, is if you reap and you do, or you sow, excuse me, and you do it with the right attitude of a blessing, guess what? There's a blessing that comes back. And I'll just give this illustration. You might, at church, you might give that back there. And, and nobody knows. There's, we have two people every week that count the money. Those are the only two people that ever see actually who, cut, who writes any checks. And if people put cash in there, well, nobody knows who does that. You know? and, and let's say somebody writes on an envelope or puts on the check, this is for so-and-so. And so-and-so gets that. So-and-so then maybe the next week or a week or two later goes, somebody, somebody in the church gave to a need. And you don't stand up in the back. That was me. <laughs> maybe you don't, you might, they, they might not even know who gave it. But you're sitting there and you're going, God, thank you that you allowed me to participate in helping with the need that that individual had. And that person is sharing a blessing because you sowed on a blessing. It's not, I gave $10 and God gave me a thousand back. That is pure nonsense. That is not at all what the word of God says. Nowhere can you find that uh, for us in the New Testament. Ronnie. Well, yeah, or yeah, or they're saying good things about God laid it on the heart of some individual to to give to a need, whether they knew my need particularly or exactly how deep my need was or whatever it is. Well, it, it could be to God, but they it's it's kind of a combination. I mean, because God says good things about us. So this could be a person that they're saying a good thing towards God, but they're also looking at it as though God laid it on this person and then this person cooperated. Because God can lay something on your heart and you could be like those guys and go, no, I got plans for that. I got plans for that money. <laughs> and you don't give. I mean, think about it. God can show you, an, uh, show you a need and you go, oh, there's a need right there. And then you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm saving. I'm saving for something. I'm saving for something that I want to do. And then you miss out on that blessing is what you're missing out on. You're missing out on seeing God use you with the right thing. Now, next thing he's, he goes on and says in verse 7, let each one, just as he purposed in his own heart, each one of you decides what you give. We're not under the law today, are we? And not being under the law, you don't have to tithe. God does not require you to give a tithe. You don't have a tithe enforced anywhere in all of the New Testament scriptures. Anywhere. Not, I challenge you to find a single verse written to the churches in which there's a required tithe. You give what you determine in your heart. It says what you purposed, not grudgingly. That word grudgingly is grief. It hurts. If it hurts for you to give... Now listen carefully. You got two choices. One is the right choice and one is the wrong choice. The wrong choice to say, I'm, I'm, I, 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 it would hurt me to give, so I'm just not going to give. The right choice is to say, I need an attitude adjustment. That's what you need to do. And there are people that says, I don't give because I can't give with the right attitude. And I'm like, well, change your attitude. You have the ability to have a different attitude about all kinds of things in life as a believer. How do you relate to other believers in the body of Christ? Well, I, I can't spend time with that believer because I don't have a good attitude about him. Well, adjust your attitude about that believer. 
God tells you to set your mind on who you are in Christ. You have the ability to change your attitude about all kinds of things. And giving is one of them. But don't give out of grief. So if you're going to give out of grief, you need to do the attitude adjustment thing before you give. Secondly, nor out of necessity. Don't let somebody guilt you into giving. Give for the right reason. Adjust your attitude again and say, hey, if I'm going to give, I want to give because I see a need. This person, this situation, or whatever it is, it's part of God's will. It's an opportunity he's setting before me. I have this that I can give, and I'm going to address that. Adjust your attitude again. So not grudgingly, not out of grief, nor compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That love there is an active, active voice. It's present tense. It's one of the present tense situations in which we can say God is loving a believer right now. Whenever God loves a believer actively right now, God always, always does something. God doesn't sit up in heaven and have warm fuzzies for us. When we look at love, love always acts. And so when God's doing this here, just to kind of connect this with a statement Jesus made over in John, and I'm not going to go over there right now, but he says this in John 14, when you love other believers the way God wants you to, guess what? God is manifesting himself or Christ is manifesting himself through you and the Father is also. So you're getting an opportunity to see Christ and the Father lived out through your activity when you love other believers. And there are other ways to love other believers than giving, taking time with other believers. Rod asked that great question last week about the ministry of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And it was really good. And I appreciated people filling in. But the exercise of your gifts in the body of Christ with the right attitude is an act of love for other believers. And when you are doing that, guess what? The Father and the Son are showing themselves through you. And you're getting to see it. If nobody else recognizes it, you get to see it. I always get to see it when it happens in me because I'm always like, I know what my love's like and my love's kind of selfish. Well, it's not kind of selfish. It is selfish. And I, so I really appreciate it when I get to see his selfless love lived out through me. So, um, verse 8, verse 8. And God then is able to make all grace abound unto you in everything, in all self-sufficiency, having an abundance in every good work. Even as it stands written, he is scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness remains into the age. Here's the promise. You'd say, I thought we were doing promises for faith. Well, here's the promise. When you, when you as a believer operate by grace and you have a proper attitude, guess what? God, as you are giving, even if that giving seems very meager, don't compare it to anybody else. Who cares what anybody else is giving? This is about you and God. Even if what you're giving seems meager, guess what? God's able to make it abound. In fact, he not only just makes it to abound, but down in the context, he, he says he causes it to abound in... Uh, oh, I, I had another verse written down here, but we're going to have to skip it because I don't see it at the moment. But it had to do, it had to do with... Um, Oh, there it is. Verse 11. I just got to read the next verse. Verse here. You will be enriched in everything with all. Uh, and we have this. Uh, I'm just trying to check myself here again. Be enriched. This liberty, the simplicity uh, in, in, unto all this sim simplicity that it works out through us. Thanksgiving to God. So that's part of what abounds. That, that, that gift, regardless of size, whether big or small, if it's given with the right attitude, and you're looking at it as a thing of fellowship and a thing of grace, it abounds to people giving thanks to God. There's a blessing. See, that's a blessing. And you're getting to participate in that, he says. So there's a promise. It's a promise by faith that you're saying, huh, God's entrusted me with something. I got to keep my eyes open and pay attention. Is there something that he might want me to do with this? And I could bore you I'm not going to, I am going to bore you with this because some of you've heard this story many times. This is, I, I, I had to learn this crazy, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I wanted an iPod back before there were iPhones, there were iPods. I really wanted one. 
I wanted one really bad. And uh, so, you know, but they're kind of out of my price range. I don't think I ought to spend my money on this thing. Anyway, what happens? All of a sudden, we get an envelope in the mail addressed to us with cash. $350. $350. Or maybe it's just $300. It was enough to buy the iPod. I was like, whoo! I took this home. I said, look at this, Peg. Somebody just sent us $300. You know how that iPod that I wanted? And my dear loving wife goes, you better make sure that God doesn't want you to do something else with that. <laughs> Pow. <laughs> okay. God, is there something else you want to do? Guess what? Within just a day or two of getting that, God brought somebody else to our attention that had a need that was addressed to $300. It's like, huh. Okay. Guess what happened? The next month, the next month, like clockwork, we got another envelope with another $300 cash in it. And I was like, Peg, maybe we should see if God maybe wants something with this. <laughs> I wanted the iPod, but I was like, we're not going to do this again. So let's just set it aside and see what happens. And again, seriously, within, within a week, within a week of that, or just a few days, it's been long enough now, it's hard to remember. A need came to our attention of somebody that that amount addressed that need exactly. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Two weeks, two months in a row. Guess what happened the third month? We got another envelope. <laughs> Three months in a row. To this day, I have no idea where they came from. It was a postmark from Central Washington here. So I don't know where it came from, somebody in our church. or, But... Three months in a row, same amount of money, three times. And by the time the third time I got it, and I was like, God, where's the need? I, I just know there's one coming. I just know there is. There's been the last two times. And guess what? There was a need the third time. And then you know what happened? The fourth month, there wasn't an envelope. There was no more envelopes. Didn't ever happen after that. It happened those three months. And But the thing was, we didn't see any more needs. Not like that anyway. And every time you did that, it was like... Towards the end of it, it was almost kind of exciting. The first time it was kind of the pouty, I wanted to get this, you know. And then the second time it's like, okay, adjust your attitude. And by the third time it's like, God, I want to see what you're going to do here. I'm going to see, I'm going to see what's going to happen. Um, I'm not saying you're ever going to have an experience like that. That was one that God allowed me to have. Thank goodness he gave me a wife that actually was sharper and more concerned about other people and less selfish than I was. Because otherwise, that money would have been blown and God would have taken care of that need, I'm sure, by another means, but I would have missed out on getting to participate in what happened. And that whole blessing thing would have totally missed out on that in the process. Now, the last one of these that I want to look at is in Galatians today. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6. And this is also a sowing and reaping passage. This is also a sowing and reaping passage. Galatians Chapter 6. And he's talking in this... Uh, just to give you a background on Galatians without, without going through this, I told you to go to Galatians 6, but keep your finger here and flip back to chapter 1 just so that you can be reminded what the big issue in Galatians is about. Galatians 1, look with me at verses 6 and 7. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of the Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another one. Only there are some who are troubling you and they want to distort the gospel concerning Christ. And Paul says here, you were turning away from this. And this is a Christian life issue without going through all the details. The, the, the punch of the book of Galatians is that Paul had taught these people how to live by grace, by the ministry of the Spirit, and somebody came in behind the scene and they didn't go, Paul was wrong. What, the, what it appears as you read through the letter is that they were going, Paul just didn't get around to this. Paul left this off. Let me fill in some details. You need to keep the law too. Maybe they're like these people today that talk about the grace of law. I was talking about that in one of our Bible studies this last week. Yeah, that's a way you get to have your try to have it both ways. You're under law and you're under grace. What's the grace of law? That's baloney. The Bible never says that. That is a theological statement for people that want you under law, but they realize that the Bible says you're under grace. And so when you go to the book of Galatians and you go through this, you see that Paul is countering every step of the way 
this foolish idea that we as Christians can live by law and that it's okay and it doesn't hurt anything. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I was just, I was surprised by that. Oh, it's this one over here. Yeah. It's where Rebecca parked her car out there. No. <laughs> it's always going to be somebody's car, that's all. Thank you, Dwight. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so, with that in mind then, Paul makes this statement in uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, go to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to or by means of the Spirit, and I would say probably in both of these, it probably is by means of, you're using the flesh or using the Spirit. This is verse 8, Galatians 6, 8. Galatians 6, 8. I apologize. Oh, Galatians 6, 8. I apologize. So, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows, because or by means of his flesh, <clears throat> shall for the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows by means of the Spirit, shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have eternal life? You have it right now? You don't have to wait for it? Okay, so if we know that, then we know that when he's saying reap eternal life, that Paul's not saying you do these good things and you get eternal life. Certainly is not what he's talking about. What Paul is talking about in very simple terms is that when you serve in the body of Christ, when you minister, you've got two options, two primary options as a believer. You can minister by your own fleshly efforts or you can minister by the, by the work of the Spirit in your life. And when you operate by your flesh, your work ends up being corruption. It ends up being that which decays, breaks down. It's not worth anything. But if you operate by the Spirit in accomplishing this, what you're actually doing is you're making use of eternal life. Now, let's take what we just looked at on the giving issue and apply it here. You see a need that's out there and you're going, hmm, there's a need. I've got the, minute, the ability to meet that need. And I want to make sure that my wife doesn't look at me askance and go, you cheapskate, they had a need, you had the money in the bank, why didn't you give it? You, haven't you learned your lesson yet? She would never say these things, but I'm just putting words in her mouth, okay. She would do this. And so in order so that my wife thinks well of me, I go to the bank and withdraw this amount of money and bring it home and say, hey, we can help with that need. But I'm not doing it because I'm operating by the Spirit. I'm doing it out of my flesh because I'm concerned that she's impressed by what I'm doing. See, the rest of you aren't going to know what I do, but my wife's going to know what I do in this setting. And I can give that. Now, is that money actually going to meet a need? Yeah. But if you give something grudgingly or you're doing something to impress somebody else, even if it's your spouse or whoever else might know that you're giving, maybe you come up and you hand, Josh, I heard you need this need. Here's a need. You hand him an envelope. Josh goes, oh, wow, Tim's really generous. And I walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you do that, guess what? On my end of the deal, I'm not reaping a blessing. It's still corruption to me. He may benefit from the gift. I'm not saying he can't benefit from what he gets on his end. But on my end, I'm not reaping anything of value. But if I end up participating in a need, but I'm doing it because the Spirit makes it clear that I can do this, and I'm following the ministry of the Spirit, and I have the fruit of the Spirit, and the first part of the fruit of the Spirit is... Love. And I love this believer that has this need. And I'm like, God, what can I do to help this believer with this need? I love this brother. And God says, hey, you got this money. And you're like, hey, great idea. And you do this as the Spirit is directing you. Guess what? Regardless of what the person on the other end gets out of the deal, I, and I'm not trying to turn this into a selfish thing, but I'm actually getting to reap or you make use of eternal life. I'm actually using my eternal life. I'm doing what Paul tells Timothy to do in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he tells him, flee the love of money, Paul, or Timothy, and lay hold of eternal life. 
You got eternal life. Take hold of it. Use it. Make use of it in your life. And so as he's talking here about this, he says, if you keep that in perspective, verse 9, so let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Sometimes when you're serving other believers, and I bet every one of you in here, if you spend other time with Christians and you've served and helped with other believers, you probably know what it's like that sometimes it seems like you log in a lot of time with them, a lot of work, and you're just like, we're still here. We haven't moved on this yet. What is the matter with these people? All the time I've taken to try to help them understand this thing or try to encourage them and we still keep coming back to this problem. You guys never know what that's like, do you? <laughs> it is God's timing and this is exactly what he says. If you have the right attitude about it, see, if you go about it in your flesh, you're going to get short. You're going to get short. You're going to have a short temper about these things. You're not going to be patient. You're not going to be kind along the way. And you're not going to appreciate God's timing. I think one of the things that I know myself I struggle with is forgetting how long it has taken God to get me where he has me now. And I'm sure there's a long ways to go yet. But I'm just saying you sometimes forget when you look at others that, yeah, he's taken me a lot of years to appreciate and understand how his grace works. And so he says, so I appreciate Ben's comment back there. God's timing. It says, so that, or he, so he says, if we do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we reap, if we don't grow weary, if you're doing it with the right attitude, you don't grow weary in the process. Because God continues to renew you. This goes back to one of the promises we looked at oh, over a month ago, over at the end of 2 Corinthians. Our outer man's breaking down, but the inner man, he's renewing it every day. Every day he provides us what we need so we can keep doing the thing even if that thing is hmm, sometimes kind of hard from a world perspective, from a human perspective. And he keeps renewing us. And we don't lose heart. And we don't give up. And we don't say, I've logged in so much time with these people. Forget this. And you miss out on seeing God do his thing in his timing. I really appreciate that. In his timing. And I have issues with that. I struggle with that at times that I have to come back and remind it's God's timing. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So last thing here then with this. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all. See, the Bible doesn't say Christians can't do anything for people out there in the world. We just don't go and get a semi-truck and say, oh, we're going to haul a semi-truck in here. I noticed that a church, they're not really a church, they call themselves that, but they're not, that they advertise big time in the paper, uh, sorry, just kept coming in the paper all the time. They're going to be up, they're going to bring semi-trucks up there to Moses Lake and they're going to be passing out food to everybody that needs it. And I'm like, see, and I, it was really interesting because I was just listening to a guy that I really appreciate online. I was listening to him preach and he was talking about, he says, you know what happens? He says, if you're doing things out of the flesh, you almost always have to have somebody there with cameras taking pictures and advertising what you're doing so everybody get, so everybody knows for sure that you were doing this great thing for God. <laughs> and he says, you know what? A lot of times it sends the things you really do for God are things that hardly anybody else notices. It's between you and God and maybe that one other person that gets to, gets to benefit from it. And that's a good way for it to be. That's a good way for it to be. And so he says, as we have opportunity... I See, I don't have to try to fix Royal City, but you know, there might be a neighbor or a friend or somebody that come across that maybe I can take time with and I can be a help to that individual in their specific situation. But especially to those who are of the household of the faith. In other words, most of my attention is going to be directed to whom? You people. Believers in the body of Christ. There is one gift the gift of evangelism that focuses outward. Almost all the other gifts do what? They focus on the need of the body. So they're directing, they're looking at others and they're trying to see how do you want me to use me here? 
primarily that. But that goes back to this whole thing of, of reaping and sowing. So all Paul is saying here, again, this really is not about, hey, I can sow and God will give me an abundance back. Again, he, this clearly, this verse is not about that. This verse is all about, is the work that you do, is it being driven by your flesh or is it being driven by the spirit? If it's being driven by the flesh, guess what? That work on your end, it's going to be moth-eaten, rusted, corrupted, no good on your end. The other person still may benefit. Don't get me wrong. They may benefit from the thing. But you walk away and it's just kind of like, <sighs> but if you're doing it by the spirit, regardless of what you see as the outcome, if you do it with the right attitude, you're just excited that God used you, that you got that opportunity to participate in this thing. And that's an exciting opportunity. So two passages, two passages that talk to us about sowing and reaping. And both of them really in the end, if you understand that, are talking about sowing, whether it's the one in first, second Corinthians, whether it's about using your material possessions or in Galatians talking about your service, the sowing is what? It's about living out eternal life. It's about it's about the doing it's about doing that activity, whatever activity it is, with the right attitude, remembering who you are in Christ and living out eternal life. The reaping is then the benefit that you get to participate in when God's actually does a work through you. Neither one of these passages are a prosperity preacher verses they want to make them out. Neither one of these are about how to get rich. These are about how you get to richly enjoy the work that God wants to do through you with respect to other believers. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for what you teach us about having a proper attitude in the way that we serve, a proper attitude in the way that we give, and that we can actually adjust that attitude so that we can relate to others, be involved in these things, and really get to see you work in us. You've told us you're going to continue working in us right up until the day of Christ Jesus. We just sometimes don't always really get to recognize that and appreciate just how good that work can be. Thank you for this time together. Asking whatever you have before us in the remainder of this day, that these things we've looked at might be in the front of our mind and we might be thinking about, hey, how do you want me to participate in this thing or in that thing today? whether it's something with our family or other people you bring across our path. And we thank you for all of this then. Amen.